Real leaders are always looking for opportunities to lead and to serve. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Try Catch podcast powered by EI2. I am Shane Fitch. I'll be your host today. With me co-hosting is Natalie Gerdes. Hi, I'm Natalie. To put the voice to the name, I am a developer. Shane's a developer as well. And we have a special guest. Yeah, we have our special guest all the way from... Formerly TD Ameritrade, now Charles Schwab, and the AIM Institute, Todd Campbell, is with us today. He has been an influential leader in our industry for quite some time. I'll let him talk more about that himself here in a second. But we were introduced to Todd at the uh, AIM Emerging Leader Academy uh, this past fall. He was a very charismatic and dynamic facilitator, instructor, and mentor with that program. And we uh, wanted to see if we could get him on to talk about leadership in technology and we approached him and asked him and he graciously accepted and now he's here with us today so we really appreciate you taking the time to come see us today todd yeah tell us a little bit about yourself yeah natalie shane thank you so much as always i'm humbled when i am asked to do these types of things i'm always shocked when people ask me to do this i hope it's because of the passion and stuff that i show about leadership and about caring about people and about making new leaders and so a little bit about myself. I've always been interested in leadership. I, like you, started off computer science degree, developer. The more I got into development, the story that I tell people is I realized I didn't really like sitting behind a screen coding in Java or C or C Sharp. I really liked the problem solving that came along with that. But then more than that, I liked interacting with the people who were coders and who were the problem solvers. And more and more, I thought, okay, how do I get to the place where I get to lead or manage or help mentor and those kinds of things. And and I didn't really know what it took to do that. I've considered myself blessed because in working at TD Ameritrade at the time, which is now Charles Schwab, but at the time TD Ameritrade, they were so entrepreneurial that there were so many opportunities. So there were times where I'd be working with developers who were getting things ready for a testing environment, and I'd have some ideas. And the next thing you know, a senior manager or someone in leadership would say, hey, uh, we need some help in testing. Would you like to help? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, whatever I can do. And then they'd go, oh, you're now in charge of testing. Oh, I, I guess I'm now a leader. And so that's how, in many ways, I fell into leadership because I just made myself available. And so I went from that, and then I realized that's just something I wanted to pursue. So I just continued to make myself available and always looked for little things. I have a little saying, real leaders are always looking for opportunities to lead and to serve. And I tried to make that my mantra. And so throughout the years, I've just had more opportunities. And then I, like you, we didn't have emerging leaders at the time. We just had the AIM Leadership Academy. I went through the AIM Leadership Academy, thought it was awesome. And again, I joke that uh, someone said, hey, what did you think about the academy? And if you know me, probably don't want to ask me my opinion because I'll probably give it to you. (laughs) And so I got to sit down with some of the leadership with AIM 
And eventually they said, hey, we like some of your ideas. Would you like to be on the board? And once I joined the board, I was one of them that said, hey, you know, could we be missing a key area, which is some folks who are interested in leadership but not sure how do I get there, kind of what I did. And a lot of them are senior developers. People have been developers for a while, and they're like, I'm not sure if I want to be a manager. How do I dip my toe? And that's how Emerging Leaders came about. Well, that's a fantastic story. I can say, speaking for myself especially, that I think the class was very invaluable. I mean, it's accomplishing the goal that you just talked about. It's getting people introduced to these concepts. It's getting them exposure to these things. It's telling stories from various people who've been in that field for quite a while. So I always find that, you know, for me, I will learn from anybody, right? Anything that I can get knowledge-wise, somebody else has already put the work in, why wouldn't you take that? If they're willing to help you, mentor you, help you grow and learn those things, there's no reason to keep doing the, the same things that other people have done if they can help you get there and they're gracious enough to do it. So I know I appreciate very much that, you guys have worked so hard on this program. Right. Emerging, put it I, out there. I mean, a lot of that, what you just said is my ideas from emerging leaders. I'd like to say it was all my idea, but a lot of that was birthed from my mentors, people that I had talked to and things that they had shared with me. And so over the years, gathering that data and going, um, I'm a big believer in saying it's okay to do the things that you're currently doing, but every once in a while, it's good to just kind of go... Why do we keep doing it this way? Is there a better way? And so a lot of the mentoring and the advice and the different things that I experienced over my life is kind of where emerging leaders came about. Awesome. Yeah. I know that's how we met you, Todd, through the emerging leadership that both Shane and I were taking. And hearing you speak, the things that really stood out to me was how you were authentic, charismatic, and showed your leadership style and heart, what makes you tick as a leader? Based off your experience, what would you say to other leaders on bringing your authentic self and sharing your passion and being effective as a leader? That's a great question. It's also a question that I think about, you'd be surprised how much I think about, because you used words that we'll stick right now with what I call corporate, maybe IT leadership, right? I think it spans many things, but we'll kind of stick on stick to that area right there. You use some words, authentic, your true self, charismatic. You use some of those words, but if you think about it, in the corporate world, we didn't use those words for the longest time, right? I remember I have someone who worked for me for almost 14 years. And when she first started working for me, it was interesting. I became her manager. And like two weeks after, she goes, well, now that you've been my manager for two weeks, you should know that I'm getting ready to go on maternity leave. And, uh, you know, right. And I was like, whoa, right. And so um, it was kind of this, here's where I'm at, you know, and I was like, you're barely showing. I didn't even know you were da, da, da. And so we started talking through and all the, well, I remember when she had her baby, she sent me pictures of her baby. And uh, I remember the picture of her and her husband standing there with her first newborn. And I thought, wow, I'm 
just your manager, right? But yet she shared that special time with me, right? That special time that they had. And I realized, you know, we would say things like, we care about each other on our team. It matters the things that you're doing. You're having a significant, one of the most amazing things that can happen, uh, your, your firstborn son. And I realized that authentic you and who you are and being charismatic and caring, using words like caring, using words like, I love the people on my team and they mean a lot to me. I, I kind of smashed those things down because good leaders and managers don't talk about those things and they don't make things personal. And so that's, but the successful people that I seen who were leaders seemed to be the ones that always took the one extra step and were able to say, I care about you. You know, when you have something as simple as a one-on-one that it, doesn't start with how is your project how are you doing how is your code do you have code bugs it started with do you have everything you need to be successful do you feel like you do do you feel like you have the tools is there something i can do as a manager to help you be a better developer and a better person you didn't hear those things so it became a philosophy of mine where, and again, you, you always have to walk that fine line, right, of understanding HR and understanding who you are as a leader. But I think sometimes we're a little bit nervous to shake someone's hand, su- hug someone's neck and say, how are you doing? Before we even talk about statuses and stuff, because what I end up finding is the more I went down that leadership path about truly showing caring. I started building teams that seemingly would do anything for me. So now it's one o'clock in the morning and we've got to monitor some systems. And I have three developers who raise their hand and say, oh, yeah, I can do it. No, 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 I'll I'll figure it out. No, no, I, I got it. I got it. That became more commonplace than, uh Okay, who's going to monitor the system at midnight? Oh, and everyone looks away and they don't want to, no eye contact, right? Now I have people stepping up. So there are things that everyone's not charismatic. Maybe what we consider the definition of charismatic. But each person, you can be the quietest person in the room. You can show that you care. Absolutely. You know, you can show that you care. So my leadership philosophy has been centered around I'm charismatic, I'm kind of crazy, I'm the guy running around the room and trying to get everyone, you know, uh, amped up and get excited about the work. I don't ask that people are like me. I just ask that people find their genuine self and however that is for you, bring that genuine self, right? I've got some people on my team who are quiet folks but I know that they care because they're the first one to raise their hands uh, and step in for someone. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that that's uh, an interesting kind of concept you're talking about there because, I mean, in my career, in my adult life, I've never worked at a place that sounds like what you said right now until I worked here. And and as you were talking. Then stay. Yeah. As you were <laughs> right? talking, I was thinking about how like in your experience and going around and working with people from other companies 
How common is that? Is that something that companies are trying to move towards to build more, to build a, a culture and an environment that is more like a family, less like a, a, a strict relationship that's just, I need you to do this, you're being paid to do it, go do it. I, I remember as a kid, my grandfather would tell me when I was a kid, he's like, don't ever think your employer cares about you. He used to tell me that. And I thought, that's a really horrible way to live. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's a horrible way to live. Like, I'm going in and that person's basically my enemy. I'm just here to do yeah. a job and then go home. And and I have a preconceived notion about it. And I think for a long time I felt like that as a young man mm-hmm. until I came here. And then I realized, wow, there are environments that are caring where the the person is important, not just the job. Um, so I, I, I don't joke when I say stay here yeah because one if i put numbers to it if i was put it on a scale of one to ten the amount of companies who truly show caring for their folks on a scale of one to ten it'd probably be four the companies on a scale of one to ten who are trying to figure out how to do that that's a nine most companies really want you to feel like you're valued and you're a part. Any good company knows if you feel valued, if you feel special, if you feel like the work that you do matters, they know that they're going to get work out of you, right? So it's a a bit of a catch-22, right? We're all adults here. We know that a lot of what the bottom line about your company is, if they think you're the greatest person in the world, but they lose money every month, you're not going to have this wonderful company, right? So they, they've got to think about that. But I think where companies struggle is they want to be able to do that. They want to show that you are valued, but they're not sure how to do that. And so as I, especially involved with AIM, I love being a part of AIM because being a part of the emerging leaders, I think the last emerging leaders, I think we had almost 15 companies represented through emerging leaders, 20-something different students, associates, probably around 15 companies. So you get to hear a lot of stories. If you remember in my class, I love telling stories, and I love people to tell stories. And so you don't hear stories of, my company doesn't value me, my company this, my company doesn't like me. There are companies that are like that, run. (laughs) Get out of that company. Most companies struggle, how do I implement that? How every day, Natalie, Shane, how do we make them feel apart? Because most of your managers don't wake up and go, hmm, I want Shane to have a horrible day today. How would I implement that? Right? They're truly thinking, how do I make you feel valued, good about yourself? Because you're going to produce more work. Right. What I see is companies struggle to implement something that they know they need to implement. In your experience, how's that playing out with the AIM Academy? Are there companies sending people there to try and learn those things to help develop their cultures, or are they already like that themselves, and they, they believe in the philosophies that that course teaches? That's a great question. What I hope is that companies realize sometimes the hardest thing is to change culture while you're in the very culture you're trying to change, right? 
you're hoping that as you take off in the plane, there's not a mechanic working on the uh, engine as you're starting to take off, right? <laughs> that, that'd be a little scary. Be, that's a little scary. It becomes difficult. And so, again, if you're thinking about the implementation of the culture, the implementation of this, I think that's where AIM and places like AIM really help out. We're kind of a third-party, nonpartisan we're just trying to figure out the best way to make the folks that you send to AIM better people and better leaders. And so I think sometimes as companies struggle internally to fix their culture, one thing they can do, send your folks to a place like AIM. Give them a completely different perspective. And I think AIM is starting to help companies think in a different way. We've had some companies interesting emerging leaders people think oh emerging leaders so you're building leaders actually i'm not what i'm really trying to do is put things in front of you hopefully you guys felt this way put things in front of you that at least make you think is this my career is this where i want to go because actually our thinking is maybe half the people who go to emerging leaders might actually make the decision I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be, right? We actually have people that after the leadership course, they go, I know how to be a better leader, but I actually understand that where I am, at least right now, is the place that I'm supposed to be, but I can implement these leadership traits without being a formal manager or what we would call a formal manager or leader. And I think it's one of the best things that we do is whatever role you're in, you have the capabilities to be a leader within that role. You may not be as charismatic and as crazy and as voiceful as I am, but you hopefully were showing them within the department where you're at that you can implement some of these leadership type methodologies and skills. Right. We have an in-house class. Leadership is everyone's business. Yep which even touches on that. Even if you're not in an official leadership role, everybody can be a leader. Can I ask you guys a question? How does, how does that go? How, how is that going? Because I have had people say to me, uh, not everyone's a leader. There are certain things that, you know, we have certain people, and sometimes I'll, I'll use the extreme. Martin Luther King was an amazing leader, but he was born that leader. He was born that charismatic <laughs> person. So... Do you guys struggle with a bit of getting people to truly think every person has an opportunity to lead? I think the company does a good job. Our company does a great job of supporting that idea and providing opportunities for people to provide leadership in the things that they're doing every day here. Course helps. It helps the attendees understand that, helps them see that. Uh, but as far as the results and the output to that, I can only speak for me. I, I can't really talk about anybody else. But I think for me, it really did help spark that idea. You know, they're like, hey, yeah, I can, I can do more than I've done at other jobs. Right? Other jobs, they made it very clear. This is your job. Don't step outside your lane. And here, it's very much encouraged. They want innovation. They want you to take charge and leadership on things that you you find important that you value in the company because you never know what come from that, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of great work gets done when you're personally invested 
too, mm -hmm. right? If you have a personal passion about what you're doing, you can have good results as opposed mm -hmm. to um, just being told what to do every day and start to stop caring about that or stop right. caring about the company or stop caring about what you're doing. Sure. So I taking a step back, I would say it depends. It depends on the person, the role in their team, whether they feel like they have the place and room to grow and to have those leadership traits. But I do think for anyone that wants some of that leadership is like to have that philosophy, to be in that environment, in that situation where they can be disruptful, but in a constructive manner. Even if they're not in a leadership role, like, hey, did we think about this? Or why are we doing this? Like th those like micro ways of showing those leadership traits or even in a caring manner within a team. But then to have more of those leadership is like, for example, through EI2, like as an EI2 leader, I get a lot of opportunity to do that. Or within the work group, I want to give other people leadership opportunities. So we have our subcommittee leaders. That's more of a structured way for a more informal leader opportunity mm -hmm. to grow. But what I would say is I think there's some people that need that encouragement, some areas where we could be better about providing that mentality and encouragement to exhibit more of those leadership traits. But then there's sometimes there's those certain cases where we don't want like 10 leaders in the working right. on this. Too many cooks. Company. Yeah, <laughs> too many cooks. Yeah. <laughs> right. So not not to say too many leaders is bad. <laughs> that no. may come off different, but too many cooks like, is a better you know, analogy. Natalie, right? <laughs> like we, we've had this in the past. There's a problem and we keep throwing people at the problem, but after so many, it, it stops being constructive. Right. That can happen in any in any situation, right? By the way, just to throw this out there, never no such thing as too many leaders. Okay, all right. No such thing as too many leaders because if they're really leaders, real leaders know that sometimes the best leader should also know how to serve, and the very definition of a leader is one who supports and serves. In working with leadership with my church, I played guitar, and I'd been playing guitar for... I'm not going to tell you how long I've played guitar, because that would give away how old I am, but I've played guitar for a while, and my father is one of the most wise men that I've ever met, and I told him I was struggling a little bit with my place. And he said to me, you're struggling with your place because you're a leader, and you think because you're in the position that you're at that you have to lead. He said, do you ever think that right now as a leader, the best thing you can do is make your leadership better? Not me better. So he said, you ever think that maybe right now in the place that you're at, your sole responsibility is to make your leader's life better easier because you know what they're going through because you're a leader and so you should understand it more than anyone so actually if you get 10 leaders in a room if they're true leaders you should get a lot done because they should know how to flow in and out of being someone who's a servant and knowing when to step up and to lead so just throw that out there too. awesome perspective yeah i like that yeah see this is, why, this is why we're so excited to have you. You got know, right. these really yeah. awesome examples. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, us just hearing some of these stories in the class, I'm like, wow, I'd love for more people to be able to hear this. So yeah. thank you for doing that. We've talked a little bit about how cultures are trying to be built or how companies want to do that. So where do you think 
leadership and companies get it wrong? Leaders and companies get it wrong. So that that's an interesting one because you probably heard me. I think I said in this class, words matter to me. So sometimes I choose my words. I'm not sure if companies get it wrong. A culture is such a difficult thing, right? A culture that you have here at Farm Credit versus what I have at Schwab versus what someone else has here in Omaha, Mutual of Omaha, those are in some ways unique cultures, unique only to them. Now, there are fundamental things, right? As I say, play nice in the sandbox, you know, all of those kind of things, respect people, those kind of things. So getting it wrong, I'm almost a little bit hesitant because, okay, do companies get it wrong? I'm not sure if they get it wrong. If I was going to say where they get it wrong, they don't step back and take a moment, take a breath, and understand really where they want to take the company. So what they ended up doing, or even an apartment, let's not make it a company because sometimes you think, you know, think about Schwab. 33,000 employees. I can't, um, I, I can't even tell you right now how many different departments and everything else. So if you think about it, actually within Schwab, there's an overall vision that you'd like to think our senior leadership has, right? They have that vision. But that vision has to slowly make its way down to Johnny here, who's just a coder. And he might even use that phrase, which would drive me insane. Because no one's just anything. But he might view himself as just a coder. So if you imagine now, take mutual, take uh, go beyond that. Let Start thinking about someone like Apple. I, I don't even know the tens of thousands of people, right? So where do they get it wrong? I think that they forget the personalization that has to happen at such a lower level. That's why whether you're a C-level, whether you're a director, at each level, you have to understand the value that you bring. I know that where I am, there's certain value and there's certain things that I bring to the table that I've got to portray to my team. Right When I hear someone say, I'm just a coder. Nope, you're not just anything. You're a key part of this team, and I don't know how I would be successful without you. Right, Where companies, I think, struggle is the empowerment that you have to have, that you have to literally push down lower and lower and lower so that when you get to that key contributor at the associate level, that person still has to feel like I am valued, I make a difference, right? Think about it from a financial perspective, TD Ameritrade or, or Schwab now being at Schwab. You can have a coder put something in production that could affect thousands, ten thousands, yeah. millions. So don't you want that person not to walk in fear, but you want that person to go, you are valued. When you're ready to move that code into production, whatever, whatever the processes you have, when you're ready to do that, we're going to come to you and we're going to ask you if you think it's ready. And we value your 
your answer so much that if you actually say, I'm not sure, then we're going to step back because we trust you enough and you're empowered. And I know empowerment is one of those kind of buzzword bingo, but empowerment, I think, is one of the biggest keys to a company. And it's probably where companies struggle. I won't use the phrase gets wrong, but I understand what you mean. But I think it's where a company struggles. They struggle so much with the ability and how much empowerment do you continue to push down? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I think this is going to kind of lead into like culture, right? So the culture, (laughs) like you said, starts at the top, but it's got to trickle down. So, So let's talk a little bit about culture and diversity and how that plays into building an environment. Okay, we only have 30 more minutes, so you time, but no. <laughs> so uh, when, I teach, when, I, when I teach classes, lately what I've been saying is in the next, f- we'll say five to seven years, I think the biggest thing that we will face as leaders is diversity and culture and the understanding of that. Now, again, I'm not going to get into all the political things, but I think even when you say the word diversity, we start limiting ourselves. So what I would say is who is ever listening to this podcast is to think about it as don't think of diversity as this simple thing as black, white, or LGP, or right? It's not. It's so much bigger than that. Diversity can be as something as simple as I have cousins who are on the East Coast. We joke. They think I have an accent. I, I was like, really? You're from the East Coast, and you say things like water and ka and stuff like that, and I have an accent, right? But even my cousins or my friends who live on the East Coast, there's a different thinking even from there to maybe if you're in the South uh, a more laid back, and and sometimes I think we believe that these are we're we almost think that those are labels, and we think that those are stereotypes, and and I'm kind of talking beyond that. I'm kind of talking at the what you first said, bringing the genuine you. When people do that and they bring them genuine selves. They want to feel like when they bring their genuine selves, that it's not thought of as they're, that something's wrong with them, right? Uh, that they're weird. It's just that they're different. I know that uh, one of my bosses, you know me, I'm about to tell a story. One of my bosses grew up on a farm. And every time we had uh, his department was probably about 75 developers, uh, product owners, uh, managers. And at some point, we knew what he was going to do. He would tell a farm story, which I thought was hilarious because he would tell, I won't, I will not get into the details, but he would tell me stories about cows and what they did with cows and how they have to take care of cows. A cow is something that is out there that says moo and occasionally I eat. It's a steak. But he would have these stories that I, that, they were just hilarious about, and I'm like, what with a cow and helping birth cows and stuff? Although it seems silly, 
Do you know at one point that that was almost the highlight of our all hands? Everyone was waiting for the cow stories. But you know what the cow story was? Well, he was a director, pretty high up, and had a lot of folks. You know what the cow story was? That was just who he was. He was just sharing who he was. So now the developer, maybe it's that one guy who's like, wow, I, I grew up on a farm. My director, right? He, it's him. He has a supervisor. He had me as a senior manager. He had, he had these levels in between them. But now suddenly he connected, right? And the connection, to make sure I, I come back to your question, the connection in who we are, I think makes companies nervous, and I think we miss it. So if I was going to use the word wrong, that's where we get it wrong. We think there's something wrong with connecting and truly connecting and letting people know who we are and being a little bit vulnerable about who we are and how we think. How I think is not going to be how you think. But if we can sit down and talk about it, we're going to be better people. So bringing in finding different ways, like you said, diversity isn't just a matter of some immutable attribute about yourself. Right. It could also be that thing right there, bringing in mm -hmm. somebody in a company that may not have anything to do with farming, but you have several people with a farming background. That's mm -hmm. diversity, right? right? Like there's several different aspects right. that can tie those things together to help define connections and help build cultures. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the reason why I think this is such a key is diversity and culture and the generation who are going to be our next leaders, think about some of the things that they have gone through, whether it's with COVID, whether it's with some of the social unrest and stuff that we, we've experienced. They've experienced probably in the last five to seven to 10 years, things that, boy, our, our grandfathers ha have no concept, literally have no concept. And even my father, has no concept, right? But I have a son who said to me, work is what I do. It's not where I go. And I had to step back and go, oh, yeah. That's because it, from his point of view, this is a very virtual environment. But I can tell you one of the things I know my son is weird for him. He's working for a company. He's never face-to-face -face met anyone on his entire team. Never face-to-face. Yeah. -face, never sat down and had a cup of coffee or lunch or, right, how many times have you gone to the cafeteria, break room, whatever it is, you run into someone, as I jokingly say, I like cherry Kool-Aid, you like cherry Kool-Aid, we're best <laughs> friends, right? right? We don't have that anymore or it now has to be purposeful. Connection has to yeah. be purposeful now. You used to run into people at the water cooler, you have to set that meeting up right? Whatever medium you're using for your uh, calling or virtual connection, that has to be purposeful. And that's, that's difficult for us now, right? There are things that used to happen organically that projects and programs and things got done in an organic manner because you kind of ran into someone. And then you're walking to the cafeteria or walking to the restroom or whatever it is. And, you, boy, you didn't realize that five-minute conversation. Hey, I'm working on this project. You're Oh, what project? Oh, I'm working on that project. Oh, I didn't know. Hey, tomorrow, do you got five minutes? We, we should get together and compare notes. Cool. That organic thing has to be purposeful now. And, and that's difficult.
Have you guys been working on that in the AIM programs then to try and develop ways to teach leaders how to handle those situations? Yeah, it's one of the things that a challenge for us. And when we meet, we meet monthly. And I would say, as you can imagine, probably the number one thing is COVID, the reaction to COVID, virtual learning. Now, one of the good things is you guys were a part of an emerging leaders where, if I remember correctly, yeah, we had three guys who were in Europe, right? Yeah. And so, well, that would have never happened. So usually everything is face-to-face, which I would prefer. But here was a great example of, you know what, that was a plus. Now, because we're virtual, we actually got to teach a class, and I can't remember the company, but I think a couple of the guys were in London, and so now, wow, we get to reach out to folks that we would have never been able to touch before, but now we're able to reach out to those virtually. So there's certain reasons to be virtual, and it helps you. There are other times, though, it's just like this. We could do this podcast in three separate locations, and we probably have the technology to make it work. But there is something about us sitting here in this room and giving thumbs up and shaking our heads and you shaking your head. No, don't. No, right. There is something that's great about that that is missing. So, yeah, one of the things in AIM that we're trying to do is walk the fine line of reaping the benefits of being able to pull in a larger audience because of virtual but also keeping kind of that personal and organic nature of what happens face-to-face. Yeah, I think that's going to be very important. I mean, we've seen a lot of companies, even as the pandemic has ebbed and flowed, but as we know it's going to work its way out, hopefully someday, some companies just are not, they're just not going to ever make people go back to the office. And so these challenges are going to be there for those leaders Mm -hmm. to keep a culture alive. Or right. build, maybe build a different kind of culture that's still beneficial and, and works well in a company where you never actually see people anymore. And, and I person. think you hit it, right? I think you hit it right there. It's finding, because I still think the biggest, uh, one of the biggest challenges that we're going to have is that connectivity and using our different cultures and using the different diversities, wherever you come from, the things that you believe in, the things that you're passionate about. You and I both know that if we get into a room and I say something as simple as, we're going to talk, we have 10 people in the room, and we're going to talk about the importance of connection. And if we connect, happier developers, happier IT people will produce more work. I just put that out there, right? If you're in a room, wouldn't we all agree that there's going to be natural organic chemistry that happens that when you put a subject like that out there, you're going to naturally start getting talk. You're going to start getting people, what? No, what? No, people should, right? And there's some banter back and forth. Try to do that virtually. It's not that it's impossible, but now what I think is as leaders, we have to be more proactive. We have to be very proactive and purposeful, I guess, is the word I would use. You have to be purposeful. When I have my virtual meetings with my team, interesting, I'm in Omaha. No one else on my team is in Omaha. Two people in Denver, one in Houston, one in Dallas. And so 
I'm pretty sure they all think I'm insane because I'm the guy, I'm, you know, I'm the rah-rah guy trying to get them excited and they're pretty straightforward. But more and more, we're starting to learn because we've been purposeful about it. And I've said to them, the very first 10 meetings, we're not going to, 10 minutes, we're not talking about status. I want to know how you're doing. How was your weekend? How was your day? Anything we can do to help you. And then we transition from anything we can do to help you into going into status. Because I don't ever want to talk about status unless it's somehow connected with how can I help you? Because status, send me an email. Right. Uh, problem solving, that's a status where you're asking me for my help. I want to be involved in that. Yeah, that's a neat example. Yeah. I know in uh, my previous team, we right when the pandemic started, uh, you're talking about being purposeful. Our, our team did that. We were looking for ways to stay connected, even though we couldn't be in the same room. And so, you know, we have daily standups uh, typically in our teams. Mm -hmm. And so we had like a calendar time, 10 minutes before standup called Coffee and Connecting. Nice. And so if you wanted to, you could hop on and just chat about your night and mm -hmm. just talk to each other and spend a few minutes doing that connecting again before we started our day of work, right? So That's awesome. I think that that is a challenge. Yeah. Earlier, you talked a little bit about your son, right? And how his perspective of work has already changed in the environment that he is growing up in and developing in. And so looking at that and talking a little bit about how environments and workplaces are changing to a hybrid or a virtual existence. Mm -hmm. What kind of advice would you give to young and upcoming leaders or new leaders? I guess they don't necessarily have to be young, but upcoming leaders mm -hmm. to help them prepare for that future or that present, I guess, as it is. Awesome question. Yeah. First of all, understand diversity, right? I'm going to keep coming back to diversity and culture because I think it's the thing that upcoming leaders, young or old, you're going into a workforce who, one, from a technology point of view, they are very savvy, right? Very, very savvy. I consider myself a pretty savvy technology person because I've come up through the ranks of developer. I've been a systems analyst. I've, I've done a, some things. And so, but the way we use technology and how we use technology, to us, technology was something we inserted into our lives to make things better, to make things, you know, especially people my age. Technology was something you used to automate, to make things better, to make things easier. The folks that as leaders we're going to be serving in the next five, ten years, technology is just life. It, it's not something that's been inserted. They know no different, right? And so as leader, as an up-and-coming leader, I, I would say, one, understand the folks that you're about to serve and as I said, words matter to me. Understand the folks that you're about to serve, not just lead. Think about your leadership as your the ultimate ability to serve and to connect with someone and help them be a better person and help their career move on. But it's all about making them a better person. I think that's the thing that people are going to be interested. I think that's the thing that people are going to, that's going to affect them. I would say as a leader, 
what an absolutely amazing time to be a leader. I feel like even something like this, I said it at the beginning, I'm humbled because you guys are kind of asking me what I think about leadership. And, you know, I watch TED Talks and I listen to different things. And there's so many people out there. But what an amazing opportunity that we have as leaders that people are going to start coming in. And the one thing about this generation that I think that is amazing, they love asking why. They love asking why. They're very inquisitive. Why do we do? And sometimes we have to remember as a leader, they will say, why do we do the things? Why are we doing the things that we're doing? As a leader, we can't take that as something that's personal that's coming against them. They're truly questioning because that's how they figure things out, right? I myself, I am one of those, and I had to, along my leadership journey, realize asking why can be one of the most powerful things or it can be an intimidating thing. Why asked in the wrong way can be very intimidating. But we do have this generation that they love saying, why? Why are we doing it that way? Why aren't we doing it like this? Right? I have folks on my team that they're young enough, they could probably be my daughter. They could probably be my son. And when they ask me why, I love it. I say to them all the time, if you ask me why four or five times in a single week, I know I'm doing something right. Because if you never ask me why, I'm probably not empowering you and you probably feel like you can't. So as leaders, be open to that question. Be open to your folks are going to ask you why. And then don't act like you have all the perfect answers. Use your experience, who you are, your culture, where you came from, your genuine you, what makes you you. I often say to my team, here's why I think why. But then I almost always follow up and say something like, does that resonate with you? What do you think? Tell me now. I'm not just going to let you get away with saying why. You can ask me why. I'm going to tell you why. But now you got to correspond. Now we have to have a conversation. Now it's time for the conversation because it's the conversation that gets them the feeling of empowerment. Conversation is the start of great empowerment. The very beginning of that conversation, to me, the greatest empowerment, why? The simple question of why with genuine behind it, truly wanting to be teachable, one of the most powerful things, especially as a leader, if we can take that and go, here's why, but then always follow up with, now tell me what you think. Yeah. I think that's a great way to talk about continuous improvement, right? Mm -hmm. When companies talk about continuous improvement and we like our company is built the culture of leadership here is primarily built on the leadership challenge mm -hmm. uh, and one of their one of their five principles is challenge the process so mm -hmm. that's something that's really pushed around here and i think it does result in better things so yeah as a leader you want to be ready for that mm -hmm. and know that it's only going to make things hopefully could potentially right. lead to making things better and, and just least. remember, continuous improvement cannot happen without empowerment. Because mm -hmm. there's continuous improvement assumes a cyclical in that you start at one place and eventually you still you always come back to the why. That's the in continuous improvement. But you won't have continuous improvement if you 
don't have empowerment because that's where you start to get the feedback loop, right? True empowerment is not just I say why, I tell them why, then I tell them to walk away. There has to be a feedback loop where they go continuous improvement happens when they then can respond to the question of why. So, yeah, continuous improvement is one of those things I love because I do have a background on the TDA side, especially with lean methodologies and stuff like that. To me, one of the most amazing things when I started to learn about the lean methodologies and just the simple concept of a feedback loop for continuous improvement and the elimination of waste. I say to my team all the time, if you're just doing something because you've always done it, we should stop and ask why. That's perfect. Perfect uh, <laughs> way to explain how that would work. Can't make things better if you don't uh, challenge the yep. way that they actually currently work. Yeah. I have a leader, a past leader, who shared with me to be successful or to be a good leader, it's both the having your teammates be empowered as well as enabled. Because even if you have that sense of empowerment, if you're not enabled or it set up for success to be able to do it, then then it become it can become a demoralizer, right? Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep, yeah. And that that goes to uh, man, you guys have such great questions, such great stories. Because that goes to some. I was just talking to someone about outcome, and they started talking, and I was like, well, you're actually not talking about outcome. You're talking about production. That's different. You got to make sure your enablement is not just centered on production, because usually production means here's 10 widgets, produce 10 widgets. Outcome is when I produce the 10 widgets, here's what happened, not just with the widgets, but everyone associated with the production. And so I I love that because to me it is, it's not just about strictly saying why, it's not just strictly about empowerment, it's taking that next step around enablement, but making sure enablement is about outcome. And outcome is not just about widgets. Outcome is about people. Everything that was involved in that production of whatever those things were. So, yeah. And those people, they can move forward with it with less obstacles. Right. Or no, like smack. Right. You want to do that? Sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. You got a lot of great ideas. We'll write them down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I tell my team, it's the, again, you, you were asking me about some of the challenges. Well, one of the challenges is even around enablement. Enablement does not mean when you ask me why, I respond, and then you give me your opinion. We have a conversation. If I don't do what you say, you can't then say, see, I'm not enabled. You didn't do what I said. Because mm-hmm. Enablement is a two-way street. And sometimes, you know what? It's the conversation and it's the journey. A lot of times I've had great conversations with my developers, with my product owners, with my business key stakeholders. And after we get done talking, you know what we decided? We should just leave well enough alone. It's good, right? Challenge doesn't mean change every time. Challenge means I'm empowered enough and I feel like I'm empowered enough that I can raise my hand and challenge it and I'm heard and people and it's a great opportunity for conversation. Yeah. And then relationships play into that mm-hmm. also. You have the comfort and freedom to be able to talk to people right. openly. 
right. get honest opinions back. So, But again, it goes back to if I know who you are, if I know a little bit about you, where you come from, who your genuine you is, your culture, I'll guarantee you those conversations are a lot easier. Right? Absolutely. You, you've been with the person that you kind of know, and then you have a bit of a conversation. And, you know, with me, some of the things that I do outside of work, I'm amazed that when I'm at home, my background is my guitars. I have my guitars in my guitar stand. Do you know how many times someone has been like, da, 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 da. hey, is that a guitar in the background? Yeah. I have a couple of guitars on guitar stands. Oh, wow, I play piano. Ugh, I cannot play piano. I don't know how you guys do that piano thing, right? And then next thing you know, and then we go back to the status or we go back to the conversation, but I just gave them and they just gave me a little part of their genuine self. And now next time, before maybe we get into that, because now maybe I have to have a, a difficult conversation. Hey, I can't move on because your team, we're dependent on your team. I, I can't move on. And I might have to have a difficult conversation. But I might be able to start that conversation. All right, crazy piano dude, you and your piano, how's your piano stuff going? One of these days you're going to have to show me because I just don't get how you right? And we laugh, ah, ha, ha, ha. And so, you know, you start that conversation. Well, you can almost see the physical relaxing a little bit. Yep, we, we connected there. And so now when I say, hey, hey, I'm, I'm having this challenge. How, how can you help me out? You know, I, I can't move on without, without your help. I'm dependent on you. I know him. I know her. And so now it's a little bit easier of a conversation. And now using the words collaboration and partnership become a lot easier. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That connectivity? Yeah. You're hoping to build a desire for right. them to want to help you right. solve the problem right. because you guys have started building a relationship. Mm -hmm. That does go a long way. Mm -hmm. You care about the person, not just the outcome. Right. Ooh. Can I write that down? Can I quote you on that? Sure. I, I can quote go you for on it. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted to get across the connection. Yeah. And I think we're, I think we're nervous. I would use the word almost fearful of of connecting because then in modern society we're just still a bit nervous upon saying you're going to work for me but I care about you and so whether it's career who you are as a person I may not get involved with personal things so to speak but I yeah I'm just going to say this I have a gal who's working for me now who is about to go on a maternity leave Matter of fact, I've been scrambling to hire a contractor because I know she's about to go on maternity leave. And yesterday she said, hey, I'm pretty sure they're going to induce me next week. And I, in my heart, I'm going, oh, my God, what a most amazing thing. In my mind, I'm going, oh, God, because <laughs> she's just one of my rock stars. For the last two weeks, guess what we've talked a lot about? She's having a baby, baby, her first baby. Now, she's still my employee, and guess what? She's a part of projects and things like that, and I need to get project status. But 
she's more nervous that she's leaving and she's actually leaving me in a bind. So she keeps saying, hey, I, wanna, I have this transition document. I have this and I want to make sure this is in order. And when you get this new contractor, make sure that and remain, remember, here's the spreadsheet and here's all this stuff. And I, and then I say to her, you are amazing. How are you feeling this morning? I have a headache. I'm in pain. I'm tired and I want to go to sleep. That's basically what she told me. But two minutes before, what was she telling me? She was just so concerned. And so I just think sometimes we forget that we serve people and we get the amazing opportunity to lead people. And people have all kinds of things going on and happening. And if you just take that extra moment to go, hey, this is your first little one, isn't it? Oh, man, you got to be excited. And then you can hear the excitement in her voice, almost like, wow, my manager just asked me how I'm feeling. And so I, I think we just miss that sometimes. So, okay, I'm done. <laughs> no, I'm done. Good advice. Very well said. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah. It is. I, I loved your talk about the connection and not being afraid to do that stuff. And yeah. I, all I'm thinking about when you were talking about that is what is the future going to be like? Like right now, if people are afraid to make connections in an office environment, how much more afraid are they going to be if they're not in an office anymore? Right. Yeah. How much for how much damage that could do to a company culture if people just stop making those connections and they stop being intentional. You have to be intentional. You have to be purposeful. That's, so, that's the key to it. It's yep. going to be something I think leaders are going to need to keep an eye on as the future mm -hmm. progresses. Just who knows what's going to happen. But yep, just to be honest change. with each other as leaders yeah. and help each other. Again, my shameless plug for AIM. One of the things hopefully you found in AIM was uh, you got to talk and connect with people who were kind of going through the same things you are and be able to network and connect. Yeah. And I think that's also a, a just a, a big key as leaders leaders get around other leaders to learn so absolutely yeah well i think we've uh, reached the end of this episode here and we appreciate todd coming out and spending his time with us and laying down some knowledge that he's acquired over the years and natalie being here to help co-host and provide that voice as well with the great questions Appreciate your time, Todd. Thank you, Come guys. I appreciate so it. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Goodbye. Thank you. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Bye. That's it. Bye.